This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Around the World in Seventy-Two Days by Nellie Bly Chapter 17 Across the Continent I only remember my trip across the continent as one maze of happy greetings, happy wishes, congratulating telegrams, fruit, flowers, loud cheers, wild hurrahs, rapid handshaking, and a beautiful car filled with fragrant flowers attached to a swift engine that was tearing like mad through flower-dotted valley and over snow-tipped mountain, on, on, on. It was glorious, a ride worthy a queen. They say no man or woman in America ever received ovations like those given me during my flying trip across the continent. The Americans turned out to do honor to an American girl who had been the first to make a record of a flying trip around the world, and I rejoiced with them that it was an American girl who had done it. It seemed as if my greatest success was the personal interest of everyone who greeted me. They were all so kind, anxious that I should finish the trip in time, as if their personal reputations were at stake. The special train had been waiting for my arrival in readiness to start the moment I boarded it. The deputy collector of the Port of San Francisco, the inspector of customs, the quarantine officer, and the superintendent of the O&O &O steamer sat up all the night preceding my arrival, so that there should be no delay in my transfer from the Oceanic to the special train nor were they the only ones to wait for me one poor little newspaper woman did not see bed that night so anxious was she for an interview which she did not get i was so entirely ignorant about what was to be done with me on my landing that i thought i was someone's guest until i was many miles away from san francisco had I known in advance the special train was mine every newspaper man and woman who cared to should have been my guest my train consisted of one handsome sleeping car, the San Lorenzo, and the engine, the Queen, was one of the fastest on the Southern Pacific. "'What time do you want to reach New York, Miss Bly?' Mr. Bissell, general passenger agent of the Atlantic and Pacific System, asked me. "'Not later than Saturday evening,' I said, never thinking they could get me there in that time. "'Very well, we will put you there on time,' he said quietly and I rested satisfied that he would keep his word. It did not seem long after we left Oakland Mole until we reached the great San Joaquin Valley, a level green plain through which the railroad track ran for probably three hundred miles as straight as a sunbeam. The roadbed was so perfect that though we were traveling a mile a minute, the car was as easy as if it were traveling over a bed of velvet. At Merced, our second stop, I saw a great crowd of people dressed in their best Sunday clothes gathered about the station. I suppose they were having a picnic and made some such remark, to be told in reply that the people had come there to see me. Amazed at this information, I got up in answer to calls for me and went out on the back platform. A loud cheer, which almost frightened me to death, greeted my appearance, and the band began to play by Nellie's Blue Eyes. A large tray of fruit and candy and nuts, the tribute of a dear little newsboy, was passed to me, for which I was more grateful than had it been the gift of a king. 
we started on again, and the three of us on the train had nothing to do but admire the beautiful country through which we were passing as swiftly as cloud along the sky, to read, or count telegraph poles, or pamper and pet the monkey. I felt little inclination to do anything but sit quietly and rest, bodily and mentally. There was nothing left for me to do now. I could hurry nothing. I could change nothing. I could only sit and wait until the train landed me at the end of my journey. I enjoyed the rapid motion of the train so much that I dreaded to think of the end. At Fresno, the next station, the town turned out to do me honor, and I was the happy recipient of exquisite fruits, wines, and flowers, all the product of Fresno County, California. The men who spoke to me were interested in my sunburnt nose, the delays I had experienced, the number of miles I had traveled. The women wanted to examine my one dress in which I had traveled around, the cloak and cap I had worn, were anxious to know what was in the bag, and all about the monkey. While we were doing some fine running the first day, I heard the whistle blow wildly, and then I felt the train strike something. Brakes were put on, and we went out to see what had occurred. It was hailing just then, and we saw two men coming up the track. The conductor came back to tell us that we had struck a hand-car, and pointed to a piece of twisted iron and a bit of splintered board, all that remained of it, lying alongside. When the men came up, one remarked with a mingled expression of wonder and disgust upon his face, "'Well, you are running like—' "'Thank you. I am glad to hear it,' I said, and then we all laughed. I inquired if they had been hurt. They assured me not and good humor being restored all around, we said good-bye. The engineer pulled the lever, and we were off again. At one station where we stopped, there was a large crowd, and when I appeared on the platform, one yell went up from them. There was one man on the outskirts of the crowd who shouted, Nellie Bly, I must get up close to you. The crowd evidently felt as much curiosity as I did about the man's object, for they made a way, and he came up to the platform. "'Nellie Bly, you must touch my hand,' he said excitedly. "'Anything to please the man.' I reached over and touched his hand, and then he shouted, "'Now you will be successful. I have in my hand the left hind foot of a rabbit.' Well, I don't know anything about the left hind foot of a rabbit, but when I knew that my train had run safely across a bridge which was held in place only by jack screws, and which fell the moment we were across— and when I heard that in another place the engine had just switched off from us when it lost a wheel, then I thought of the left hind foot of a rabbit, and I wondered if there was anything in it. One place, where a large crowd greeted me, a man on the limits of it yelled, Did you ride on an elephant, Nellie? And when I said I had not, he dropped his head and went away. At another place the policemen fought to keep the crowd back. Everybody was wanting to shake hands with me. But at last one officer was shoved aside, and the other, seeing the fate of his comrade, turned to me, saying, I guess I'll give up and take a shake, and while reaching for my hand was swept on with the crowd. I leaned over the platform and shook hands with both hands at every station, and when the train pulled out crowds would run after, grabbing for my hands as long as they could. My arms ached for almost a month afterwards, but I did not mind the ache if by such little acts I could give pleasure to my own people, whom I was so glad to be among once more. "'Come out here and we'll elect you governor,' a Kansas man said, 
and I believe they would have done it if the splendid welcomes they gave me are any criterion. Telegrams addressed merely to Nellie Bly, Nellie Bly's train, came from all parts of the country, filled with words of cheer and praise at all hours of the day and night. I could not mention one place that was kinder than another. Over ten thousand people greeted me at Topeka. The mayor of Dodge City presented me, in behalf of the citizens, with resolutions of praise. I was very anxious to go to Kansas City, but we only went to the station outside of the limits in order to save thirty minutes. At Hutchinson a large crowd and the Ringgold Cornet Band greeted me, and at another place the man assured me that the band had been brought down, but they forgot to play. They merely shouted like the rest, forgetting in the excitement all about their music. I was up until four o'clock, talking first with the little newspaper girl from Kearney, Nebraska, who had traveled six hundred miles to meet and interview me, and later dictating an account of my trip to a stenographer, who was seasick from the motion of the train. I had probably slept two hours when the porter came to me, saying we would soon be in Chicago. I dressed myself leisurely and drank the last drop of coffee there was left on our train, for we had been liberally entertaining everybody who cared to travel any distance with us. I was surprised, on opening the door of my stateroom, to see the car quite filled with good-looking men. They were newspaper men, members of the Chicago Press Club, I found a moment later, who had come out to Joliet to meet me and to escort me to their city. Mr. Cornelius Gardiner, the vice-president of the club, in absence of the president, took charge of our little party. Before we were in, I had answered all their questions, and we joked about my sunburnt nose and discussed the merits of my one dress, the cleverness of the monkey, and I was feeling happy and at home and wishing I could stay all day in Chicago. Carriages were waiting to take us to the rooms of the press club. I went there in a coupe with Vice President Gardiner, who said, in a published narration of my visit afterwards, that he was strongly tempted to steal me, which clever idea so amused me that had the case been reversed, I know I should have acted on it, much to the confusion of a waiting public in New York. In the beautiful rooms of the press club I met the president, Stanley Waterloo, and a number of clever newspaper men. I had not been expected in Chicago until noon, and the club had arranged an informal reception for me, and when they were notified of my speedy trip and consequently earlier arrival, it was too late to notify the members. After a most delightfully informal reception, I was escorted to Kinsley's, where the club had a breakfast prepared. And then I learned that, owing to some misunderstanding, none of the men had anything to eat since the night before. After breakfast, the members of the press club, acting as my escort, took me to visit the Chicago Board of Trade. When we went in, the pandemonium which seems to reign during business hours was at its height. My escorts took me to the gallery, and just as we got there a man raised his arm to yell something to the roaring crowd when he saw me, and yelled instead, "'There's Nellie Bly!' In one instant the crowd that had been yelling like mad became so silent a pin could have been heard fall to the floor. Every face, bright and eager, was turned up towards us, and instantly every hat came off, and then a burst of applause resounded through the immense hall. People can say what they please about Chicago, but I do not believe that anywhere else in the United States a woman can get a greeting which will equal that given by the Chicago Board of Trade. The applause was followed by a cheer after cheer and cries of speech. 
but I took off my little cap and shook my head at them, which only served to increase their cheers. Shortly afterwards the press club escorted me to the Pennsylvania station, where I reluctantly bade them good-bye, unable to thank them heartily enough for the royal manner in which they had treated a little sunburnt stranger. Now I was on a regular train which seemed to creep, so noticeable was the difference in the speed of traveling. Instead of a fine sleeping car at my disposal, I had but a stateroom, and my space was so limited that floral and fruit offerings had to be left behind. In Chicago, a cable which afforded me much pleasure reached me, having missed me at San Francisco. Mr. Verne wishes the following message to be handed to Nellie Bly the moment she touches American soil. Monsieur and Madame Jules Verne address their sincere felicitations to Miss Nellie Bly at the moment when that intrepid young lady sets foot on the soil of America. The train was rather poorly appointed, and it was necessary for us to get off for our meals. When we stopped at Logansport for dinner, I being the last in the car, was the last to get off. When I reached the platform, a young man, whom I never saw before or since, sprang upon the other platform, and waving his hat, shouted, Hurrah for Nellie Bly! The crowd clapped hands and cheered, and after making way for me to pass to the dining room, pressed forward and cheered again, crowding to the windows at last to watch me eat. When I sat down, several dishes were put before me, bearing the inscription, Success, Nellie Bly! It was after dark when we reached Columbus, where the depot was packed with men and women waiting for me. A delegation of railroad men waited upon me, and presented me with beautiful flowers and candy, as did a number of private people. I did not go to bed until after we had passed Pittsburgh, and only got up in the morning in time to greet the thousands of good people who welcomed me at Harrisburg, where the Harrisburg Wheelmen's Club sent a floral offering in remembrance of my being a wheelman. A number of Philadelphia newspaper men joined me there, and at Lancaster I received an enthusiastic reception. Almost before I knew it I was at Philadelphia, and all too soon to please me, for my trip was so pleasant, and I dreaded the finish of it. A number of newspaper men and a few friends joined me at Philadelphia to escort me to New York. Speech-making was the order from Philadelphia on to Jersey City. I was told when we were almost home to jump to the platform the moment the train stopped at Jersey City, for that made my time around the world. The station was packed with thousands of people, and the moment I landed on the platform, one yell went up from them, and the cannons at the battery in Fort Greene boomed out the news of my arrival. I took off my cap and wanted to yell with the crowd, not because I had gone around the world in seventy-two days, but because I was home again. End of chapter 17